1: Welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Autumn Harmon. I'm Matt Enloe. And I'm Orrin Kaplan.
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
2: And today we have the editors of the found footage film Missing. They are Ariel Zakowski and Austin Keeling. We had a really good conversation with them about...
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: How to make a movie in After Effects, basically. Boy, I loved this episode. And I knew I was going to, and I was right. The movie Missing for the Uninitiated is the sequel to Searching, uh, which is uh, one of the early screen films, screen capture films, where it all takes place on a laptop. You're seeing text getting typed into fields. You're seeing mouse cursors clicking on things, which sounds perhaps (laughs) like uh, a film that's not going to keep your your interest for the whole runtime, but because this franchise in particular is so good at the twists and turns and plot twists, it's a great thriller. It's really fun. It's a bit of a whodunit. Uniquely, the editors have a real different style of authorial voice. All editors have authorial voice. Don't come at me, but the process of writing and originating the way in which people search for the different Interact with the screen is totally different. They have even their own credit in the film. They are the virtual directors of photography. So we talk about it on the show, but there is a traditional DP who's shooting all of the video footage. But then most of the movie is them animating, mouses clicking and text filling up and all that stuff. We get nerdy about all of it. It's really, really fun. I love this conversation. Matt, before we talk to Austin and Ariel, I've been dying to know. What have you been up to lately? It's been too long. It has been too long. All sorts of stuff that will catch up in a, in a one-on-one episode later on down the line. But I have a new theory okay. that I want to throw at you. I want to workshop it with you here. This isn't a bit. You haven't heard this idea. So I've got this idea that I'm calling it the project parabola. So if you imagine you're charting, you're graphing your interest or whether or not it's a good idea to make a project over time. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of your career. All projects seem like a good. every idea is a great idea. You're so excited to go shoot it and you just go shoot it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so over time that dips, you're more skeptical, you're more prudent. You've seen what's what's going wrong. And so you are less excited and less eager to shoot projects that you come up with over time. And then I think that's where you and I have been living for the last few years of like, okay, I know exactly how hard this is, or I know we don't have the budget or whatever. And so you're making fewer things than you did when you were in your 20s. And I think that now we are, or at least I am emerging. I don't want to speak for you. You'll speak in a second. Emerging to the other side where you realize life is short. Just go shoot it. The interest is greater and the skepticism is less because you also realize that all of those jaded haters don't make anything anymore. And won't. And so you see it, it's not equal. It's not like a true perfect parabola. But I think the older you get, the more I think we're through that trough and we're swinging up again.
2: Yeah. Interesting. I always thought think of a parabola as, as starting at the bottom and going up and then coming back down. But I
1: guess you're my mm. you're oh, parabolic. I I might be. Oh. I Googled it real quick because it's been a minute since I've had to use the riparote. No,
2: no, sorry. I think, I think you're right. No, no, I think, I think you're right actually.
1: Um, maybe now I just delete all that. Um, that is the first, no, please. No, don't. (laughs) I don't think I'm going to get another chance to be right over Orin in a math question. You got to give this to me. Yeah. It's probably, probably literally once in my life it'll happen. I'm sure my, um, math teachers from high school are all rolling.
2: Maybe you're the one with the engineering degree. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting theory. I definitely don't quite feel like that that's the truth for me. Like Mm -hmm. I'm i not eager right now to go like spend my
1: life savings on shooting something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fair, fair. And I think we're in different places in our lives in this exact moment. Over the last few months, I've been talking to a lot of different people about the film that I'm making and all, all, you know, all sorts of different ideas and stuff. And you start to see a trend, right, where it's like the haters, so to speak. There are people who are just like over it, who are jaded and like who aren't have lost that. Like, let's just shoot at spirit. And I guess I have a hard time seeing that attitude bear fruit in the future. I think it's, you, you know, you have to be you have to change the attitude. Do you know what I mean? And so that's that's where that thought process comes from. Yeah,
2: I saw this Twitter thread yesterday uh, where Christopher McQuarrie, who's you know directed mm-hmm. uh, Mission Impossible, and he's, he's Tom Cruise's main. Yeah, he was like a writer, a producer on Top yeah. Gun. Um, he said he's never sold a script to Hollywood. <laughs> Can you believe that? Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, and like he's never written a script and sold it. Um, he's written he's been hired to write scripts and he's mm-hmm. been, you know, on projects that need scripts. There's just no ladder to climb, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think maybe what you're saying is that you get to that, the other side of the parabola, you realize in the beginning, you're like, I don't have access to the ladder. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. make things until I can like get my foot in the door. And mm-hmm. then in the middle, you have your foot in the door and you're trying to climb the various ladders and realize that there's like no right way to climb a ladder. And then at the, as the parabola kind of goes back up, you realize like, Oh, I'm in the driver's seat. Yeah. The reason I did this, what I love is making things. So I'll make stuff and maybe that will help me get up the ladder on its own. Um, But uh, like, I think I kind of have like a different metaphor. I don't know if it's a metaphor, Mm -hmm. but way of looking at it, which is different graph a different graph in the beginning, you kind of feel like uh, having a really like you have a really good idea and you want to, you want the production value to be really high. And you think those Mm -hmm. two things are required for you to be successful. And you, Mm -hmm. you start shooting things and you get better cameras and better editing software and better dollies and better crew and better lighting, better Mm -hmm. actors. And you're just, you think more money
1: is, is equals quality. You're striving to
2: emulate Hollywood so that you fit into Hollywood. But at some point, like where I am now, I realize. The ideas are just like so much more valuable than the production value. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ironically. Um, and so what you know what I do on almost every commercial page, at least fifty percent of them now, is I make test videos to show off concept. Um, yeah, I did it on the yeah. Nestle drumstick thing. I did it on um, this bark box job I'm doing. And you can tell, like as soon as people see your video, when you're like, "I did this in ten minutes with my iPhone. They're like, whoa, if he can do it with 10 minutes with his iPhone, like, what can he do for us? And the crazy thing is now we're in post on this Nestle drumstick thing, and everyone from client to agency to the, mm-hmm. the 400 different departments at Paramount that are working on this, they're all saying, we just want it to be closer to the video you made on your iPhone.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah and also, I, you know, I, I worked with this very famous TikToker who told me, I might have mentioned it earlier, that his, this videos he shoots on his Alexa get like no views and the videos he shoots on his iPhone go viral. And I'm pitching on something with a, you know, famous chef right now. And he said the same thing. Like I shoot things on my iPhone and they get so many more views. My cooking videos than mm-hmm. when I have a whole crew shooting them. Um, and so part of it is like trends and authenticity and kind of sure. I think where sure what people's expectations are and also how amazingly good an iPhone
1: is. And also, I think if you're speaking specifically in TikTok or Instagram, you're kind of tricking people into thinking that it's content from their friends or people they've subscribed to. Right. If you're like watching Instagram stories and it's like home video, home video, home video or on vacation, Easter egg and whatever, and then it's an Alexa super cinematic thing, you know, it's an ad. You switch past it, whereas like if it's shot on an iPhone, you know you, you don't realize that, oh, it's a commercial for dog food for a second, at least, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like a an aversion to something being produced. Like if something is highly produced, you're expecting spectacle. You're expecting the Marvel mm-hmm. movie. You're expecting someone sure. to jump off a building, f- shoot a flamethrower, be a mm-hmm. movie star. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't do that, <laughs> then there's something nice mm-hmm. about it. Just feeling real and self-shot and and small, you know? Um, so I guess my, like for me, the graph of like product production value and and, quality or perceived quality are kind of like going up together originally on my original graph Mm -hmm. and in my new graph, they're like completely decoupled almost so much so that like production quality has to, if it's not like a plus level, then it's Mm -hmm. better being at like an, a D level, you know? Yeah. Though again, when I'm like today's iPhones are getting such good sound and video compared to what we were shooting on 10 years ago, sure that the production value is is pretty good at that minimal level.
1: So the iPhone that if you could travel back in time to when you were first shooting things and just hand yourself an iPhone and be like, this is in your pocket always. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have different, which is what the filmmakers of today who are 20 are doing. Yeah. But for me, yeah. I guess the just shoot it
2: mentality is has has come back around. Because for a while, I wasn't shooting much at all unless I got hired. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's like, just shoot it, but just do it in the way that you can shoot it, edit it, put it online, or send it to someone in the fastest mm-hmm. freaking way possible. Don't, don't hold back. Yeah, um, I love that. That's great. And so it's a different type of just shooting it than when I started. Well, awesome, Matt. Well, I'm glad you are finally getting it through your head that you need to just shoot it. And speaking of our podcast, you can support us. You can go to patreon.com, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's a place where you can give a dollar, $2, $20. We'll get you a just shooting it podcast hat like Autumn Harmon, who's our new patron. Super helpful for us. It like really does um, help us pay our editor helps keep us going. I know a few people have dropped off this past month and it's probably, you know, economically related we're feeling the crunch too but so definitely appreciate it even more mm-hmm. in these times if you give us a dollar a month we will think of it as a two dollar a month
1: contribution <laughs> but with inflation like a dollar fifty yeah yeah and also the patreon takes a cut and stuff yeah yeah you know um, numbers are a little squishy some hollywood accounting over here yeah
2: patreon.com slash just uh we really 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 appreciate it uh when you go there and um, that's it. Should we talk to our missing folks? Let's do it. Where are they? We have Ariel, we have Austin here, the editors of Missing, and I was telling them a quick story, then we'll get into the, the real conversation. But a few years ago, I got an email from some random stranger that said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm working on this movie called Searching and either they just got into Sundance or they just got distribution or something happened with the movie where they made this entire movie a lot of in in after effects and i was recommended to them as like an after effects artist because it was only in english and they needed to basically rebuild the entire movie in a way where they could make it in all these different languages because it's all this text and all these screens and all these things and no one when they started making the movie was i think expected it to be so successful that they would need to Easily make it in a hundred different languages, and so they were. It, they were seemed like they were hiring an army of After Effects artists, and I was like, "Hey, I got a podcast to record. I'm not doing your internationalization." Sorry,
3: I worked on that. That's how I worked on the first movie. Was I was part of that team doing the localization of the movie to translate it into like fifteen different languages. Uh, so that's crazy. That's cool.
2: So they just found you, kind of. They were asking around for After Effects artists and you came up
3: well i knew i knew uh uh nick uh which he directed he was one of the directors on missing he was one of the editors on searching and so when they were putting the team together he reached out to me to see if i'd be interested and i did not know after effects at the time uh or anything about the movie but i just came on and for i think it was like it was like a summer it was like 4 months we we just scrubbed all the words out of that entire movie and redid it in a ton of languages.
1: So not to go too far down that path so early, but Oren made a flippant joke about how no one expected to have to internationalize it across the board. Certainly, if you did know that, there are ways that you would build your, perhaps you would be a little bit more methodical on the on the way that you Built out your projects so that someone could go in and easily swap text and things like that. But uh, did the the original team see that coming? Was it built to be swapped, or is it something where you really are kind of rebuilding the movie from scratch? It
3: it was definitely not uh, something it, they did not build it to be re to to do sure. all the languages.
1: And to to be fair, it was a surprise hit. Yes, it like was. it was a yeah. it was a huge huge hit, and like I think it's fair to say that everyone was surprised by how mega that first film was was pretty awesome
3: for sure. So they were scrambling, I think when, when, you know, after Sundance and when they realized they needed to do it, it was like, Oh, how do we do this? So that was, it it was, it was really like a weird boot camp type vibe. Like we were all just kind of like huddled in a room (laughs) remaking the movie a million times.
1: Incredible. Um, or like fifteen.
3: Yeah, like fifteen times. It felt yeah. like a million times. <laughs>
1: sure. Like certainly, you don't speak every single language that you're internationalizing it into. Or even are there? I mean, there must be circumstances where it's not even like the same alphabet.
3: Yeah, and we, uh, because we did, uh, I think we did it into like Cyrillic or like Russian. Yeah. You know, um, the hardest one was German though, because so many German words are so much longer uh Hmm. so you would find like the start menu down on a windows computer you know that's a word that's like this big and suddenly it it would be three times as long so you'd have to Mm -hmm. redo all of the graphics to make it all fit in there it was
4: but now austin's fluent in 17 languages (laughs) (laughs)
3: exactly yeah so hey
2: incredible not to geek out too much but it's it's not about you changing it to every single language as much as it's you changing it into some way to read from like spreadsheet of some sorts right yes
3: so we had translators providing spreadsheets and then we went in in after effects and templatized the entire thing so that Mm -hmm. you could just hook it up to a spreadsheet but then that wasn't taking into consideration the different different links like text bubbles we'd have to go in and you know completely redo those
2: so you're like the james cameron what james cameron did to 3d video Mm -hmm. capturing you did to
1: after yeah. Effects UI, multiple translations, fabricating water, kind of the same yes, thing. Exactly. You have to build your best own best tools best. to change the size of the start button.
3: Yes, there it is. Yeah, <laughs> I am James Cameron.
2: And so Ariel, when did did you have any involvement in the first movie?
4: Uh, same with Austin. We I think we both attended early test screenings when they were like in rough cut stage or at some point during the editing process. So we had, you know, we all a lot of the filmmaking team went to USC, and so you know, various people knew various other people anyway, you know, so we ended up like, I think I also had worked with Nick before. Um, And so we both ended up, I don't think at the same test screening, but at two different test screenings. So that was sort of the extent of my involvement. Um, But I knew, you know, knew the team and had a ton of respect for the team and sort of kept in touch. And here we are.
1: Now you two are a co-editing team for the new film missing, which I saw in theaters. Great. Really yeah. awesome. So fun. Um, it was an unpaid endorsement back uh, when I first saw it. I really, truly loved it. Cool. Tell us a little bit about, not only are you editors, but they, they have like an additional credit for you too. Is that right? Tell us what that is and the kind of the philosophy behind it.
4: Yeah. So in addition to being editors of the film, we are also credited as directors of virtual photography, um, which I'm sure will be an upcoming Oscar category any day now. <laughs> uh, that, so that was partially something that was established as a precedent on the first film. Mm -hmm. The editors, Nick Johnson and Will Merrick, who were editors of that film, writer and directors of this film, they also kind of got that double credit, partially as a way to just sort of acknowledge that the work of editors on these films like far extends beyond the reach of what is traditionally asked of an editor. Um, And partially, specifically what it's saying is that, you know, on set, the DP is capturing the footage of all the actors, which we then place into Facetime windows, et cetera. Um, but we are actually creating the shots that you see mm-hmm. in the film mm-hmm. using sort of like a virtual camera, basically like within our Premiere timelines. Uh, you know, we choose like how to frame a shot, how to how much we're punched in on it. We create the pans that go across the screen, and so. Oh that's sort of the where that director of virtual photography comes
1: from right and and just to set the table for people who haven't seen a film like this you know it like like you were saying Ariel, it's like you'll see the facetime video footage of a character speaking with someone right but then as you're mid-conversation the quote-unquote virtual camera will zoom in or pan over to someone googling something that's germane to the conversation right and the the, the fun of these movies is that there's like a you know a mystery to them so like for instance a character maybe they're lying or maybe we're trying to figure out where they are so they hop up over to google maps and like you know go into street view and you know they're searching around and then oh we see the thing that they were actually talking about the camera punches in for emphasis all of that stuff so that's sort of the work that you all are responsible for whereas the dp is just getting the video parts effectively the facetime or you security know, cameras security cameras yeah yeah, yeah. and exactly. with a with a real quote with a lens basically yeah. yeah
4: yeah and you know in a this sort of they call it like screen life genre where the whole movie is taking place within the confines of whether it's computer, zoom phones whatever there's not a massive amount of them but i think a lot of them tend to sort of let everything play out in a wide Mm-hmm. Um, or like they don't have a ton of cutting around, but I think what the team established with searching is like treating this not at all like that. So everything is kind of as cinematic as possible, even though we're inside of a laptop the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of where that like shot building and creation and movement and and all that uh, stems from too.
1: I, I'm curious about what the script looks like, right? Because th- there are instances. Yeah, and the film does a great job of like never repeating itself. Of like, you know, you'll do the thing where your characters are texting between one another, and like they'll write something and then they'll delete it, or like, or or you know, the 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 cursor will pause with some hesitance, and then they'll they'll change their mind or something. There's real acting that's occurring, and I'm, I'm sure there's a million other obvious examples of the the things that you're doing. Is that on the page? Is that something you're inventing? Is it somewhere in between? Tell us about that.
3: I would say it's it's somewhere in between. I think in a movie like this with so many clues and red herrings and, and buildups to surprises, I, a lot of that was on the page. Um, like she has to navigate to this website and then to log into this thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that was all there. But the, the editing process was again, unlike I think most traditional editing uh, uh projects where we were able to continue to interrogate each scene day in and day out and kind of keep working on it and trying new things because we had these screen elements so a lot of those character moments of how the mouse moves hesitating while typing backspacing things those were a lot of the time things that we found while we were in the editing room working with the directors mm-hmm. on it yeah
2: and um, also can i ask you a oh sorry go ahead are
4: no, I was going to say to add to that, I think, Oh, you know, obviously like the more dialogue heavy scenes were like, you know, all the dialogue is there like a normal uh, script, but in some of the more like montage sequences, it was less figured out, less like prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And so some of that would, which is very cool, like fell to us to kind of like figure out, you know, what does a cacophony of images look like during a party sequence? Like we sort of, ideated and 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 kind of like brainstormed and figured some things out which was cool for us because felt like we were getting to be a small part of the writing process a little bit
2: yeah it almost seems like on a project like this you need a team of editors because like some of these sequences probably take so long to put together that if you don't want to spend a week on something when you have an idea and you're not 100 like it, it seems like you always need to be bouncing ideas off of each other and saying like would this work with this work? Like, is this how we would do it? Because I, I've had to like make screens and build things and after effects and it, people do not realize, like Matt was saying, the hesitant hesitating cursor or the mouse, how long it takes to make it look real and clear. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's just so much work. I'm and curious, yes. did you, did you do any uh, acting uh, in, in terms of like screen recording, re-recording mouse movements, or is it all just keyframed animations?
3: When we were first doing the edit, before we were in locked, picture locked, we were just animating the the mouse with with keyframes. Um,
4: but in in Premiere. In Premiere. We were it was we didn't oh, actually do anything in After Effects until the movie was locked. Yeah. So really? everything was like temped out just in Premiere at first, just with screenshots and things, and then like slowly we were replacing the graphics. You guys um, are blowing
1: my mind just to, on a workflow. Is it just like? like how come is what i'm really asking like you must have been like ah this would be so much easier to do in after effects and clearer and then it's done like i would well, i would want to have sound to deal with yeah yeah, yeah and and, right. and it was
3: it was mostly for speed really like we were just yeah. like we so we started on this movie six months before uh any anything was shot um and we just spent the first six months making a previs like an animatic uh essentially mm-hmm. of the movie um using just screenshots of ourselves, of the directors, using our voices and the director's voices, just reading all of the lines and taking screenshots on our own computers to sort of build this temp version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we had a watchable version of it, which we could move very quickly in premiere to make edits. And then <laughs> once they shot the footage, we slotted the footage in and then continued to to edit and i mean this type of thing right you you want to make one change and suddenly you have to go through 40 layers of graphics and adjust mm-hmm. everything so right, uh, right. We, so we needed just keeping
1: it as bare bones as possible yeah. is the only way to do it yeah right.
3: and then once we were locked then we went in uh, to after effects yeah. and, and made everything look beautiful
1: <laughs> i will say one of the fun aspects of this film is like as a filmmaker i spent the next I don't know how many days, like anytime I was like pushing my kid around on a walk or something, I was like, how would I do that? Like what, like what the, the process, the flow of it is, is part of it that got me excited to, to ask you about this. Uh, or, before we go to your question, Austin, you had, you were making a point that I cut, cut you off on when you were talking about a- acting acting with the, oh yes yeah so,
3: so like for the mouse for example that was something that in premiere we were just doing rudimentary keyframes basically uh but then once it was locked and the timing was locked and we moved over into after effects um the directors actually motion sketched every uh used motion sketch in in after effects to do every single mouse move using our timing and our general placement of our keyframes but they went in and, and made it uh so that it felt a little bit more organic and uh, natural mm-hmm. so every single mouse frame uh mouse movement is is uh, a performance mm-hmm. uh, yeah
4: <laughs> but yeah nothing no there's absolutely no pixel that is screen recorded in the entire film
3: like we rebuilt every single thing yeah
4: yeah
1: yeah I'm the, just the weight of that is sinking in <laughs> yeah <laughs> I,
4: I haven't about. seen
2: the movie <laughs> personally but are do you are there sites that are fake or are they mainly based on real like we go to instagram and facebook and zoom and all those
4: things it's like 95 or 6 percent real stuff
3: yeah and then like yeah. a, an occasional you know spooky sketchy site that we had to come up with
1: and create mm-hmm. yeah yeah your fake dark yeah. website yeah. or whatever but We're you're on just Google shoot maps. It pod. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um i did you reminded me there it, like there's a moment where the characters are scanning through emails and w- the character has a Cinespia email which is a the screening series in the cemetery for non-Angelinos and was a funny little character thing that my wife and I both giggled at for sure.
2: Talk about like an opportunity for easter eggs right I'm sure, sure. every single yeah. web page is like that's my cousin these people are actually related but we said they're married. Ah.
3: Yeah, there's um, so much going on in the back of this. Like, it, you could really pause it on any frame. There's a whole subplot happening in the in the background about a alien invasion superhero story. Uh, that if you just follow, looking at the news articles in the background, there's a whole other movie happening. Kind of.
1: It's where Where did that come from? Awesome. whose Whose decision was that?
4: That was a big. Uh, thing that one of our producers Sevo Hanian was very passionate about was this was something they actually started in searching in the first movie um, where there was what was the what was the back, the subplot in that? And that was the anyway, alien invasion right? and
3: then yeah. that was the follow up.
4: Yeah yeah so it, there was like in you know because there's so many opportunities in this film to like, fill, like to fill copy in right mm-hmm. and so like after a while it like, can be challenging and I feel like I don't know where the genesis of it was but like it became clear that like there's so many opportunities you could tell a whole story just using like, you know the tickers at the bottom of news things and ads on the sides of websites and whatnot. And so in the first one, there's a whole alien story going on, and then we kind of continue and build off of that and turn we have a little bit of a, a superhero thing going on um, in ours. But there's also, I mean, there's tons of Easter eggs and and references to like our team and our all our family and friends and people that helped out on the movie, but also. There's a lot of clues, I won't spoil the movie, but there's a lot of clues to things Mm -hmm. that unfold later in the movie that, like, some not hidden, some, like, very blatant. Um, And so it was fun to figure out, like, just how much we could kind of put hints about the twist, like, right in front of people's faces and not have anyone pick up on it.
1: That's so fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Makes it a fun movie to watch a second time, I think.
2: Well, can I ask a question b- before we get into anything that's useful for our listeners? I'm mainly been, I've been in the zone of just asking questions that are useful for me personally. And because I have done all this screen work, I'm curious how you design the screens. Were you the editors making the Instagram pages and putting the images and finding things? Or was there someone like in Photoshop building these compositions and handing them off to you? How, does, how much control do you have over the, the screens of the movie?
3: Well, from the very beginning, we were the ones, uh, we were taking just basic screenshots and then roughly changing them in Photoshop, uh, uh, for the the first part of it. Um, and so we, we pretty much determined through our previous edit and then the actual edit itself, what the layout of the desktop was, what windows were open, what those windows look like. Um. But then, when we moved in, into the final stage, we actually so our whole team, our, our directors, were helping out, and then we had a small graphics team who was helping us kind of turn out templates of all of these websites um, as Illustrator files. So some of those we were making, some of them our graphics team was making. But then we would take every single one uh, as a template and fill it in, and finalize it, and adjust it, and then put it into the finished movie. So it was- and create
4: every single like state of it. So if mm-hmm. She's going, if she's like, you know, hovering Hovering. down Gmail, every single one is a different file that we have to like set up and create. When I tell you that these, like these graphics that were made from scratch are like pixel perfect replicas, 99% of the time, I am not exaggerating. There was so much done to maintain a level of realism, which I think as a whole makes a big difference. Cause you know, when you watch something and it's like fake text or like, it's kind of fake. Um, but everything it was like we were we were screen recording like things that were happening on our computers so that we could make sure to match it identically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So why not screen record? Like what I've done in the past. So (laughs) a really common a really common (laughs) thing. (laughs) No, a really common thing that people wanna do in these movies that I work on is scroll through Instagram and click on something. And so for me on a phone at least, it's easiest to just record my screen, scroll through Instagram, and then in After Effects, track, track the movement and just overlay my images in where in I need the, to. Yeah.
4: Um, the main answer is resolution because we're punching in so much, um, we needed to be able to have infinite mm. resolution and you can't get that screen recording. Um, the Which second, is why
1: you were making Illustrator files. Yeah. That makes sense. yeah. Right,
4: the right. second is control so that we can go in and change every single thing and like modify everything and create all these different button states without having to like screen record over and over and over and probably the third is like legal
2: internationalization
3: yeah that too
4: and that
2: (laughs) but legal at some point if you're pixel perfect what does it matter if you (laughs) Made the pixel. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either.
4: <laughs> Luckily, that wasn't our job to figure out.
2: But did you have? Was part of your job putting an effect on these graphics to make it look like it was a screen, like chromatic aberration or pixelation we, or things like that?
3: Yeah, we we added uh, chromatic aberration at the end in the finishing uh, stages, and then there's also in the video. There's a lot of glitches on Facetime calls. Um, and compression that and that was all added by us because obviously they were shooting this on great cameras uh and so we didn't have that but we used those glitches not only for realism to make it seem like it's a real connection but frequently it was to help us hide cuts in mm-hmm. in in the mm-hmm. footage or switch takes or change the timing you just throw some compression over it and suddenly it, you know it, it reads as the way phones and video on your computer works
2: so, right. The, the way nice my, my conversation with you all is going right now. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Was there ever, and and obviously this is a different department, but, you know, Oren and I oftentimes will need to shoot footage that reads like an iPhone most commonly, right? Like it needs to feel like someone is actually FaceTiming or whatever. And my, my attitude has evolved over the years, but certainly 100% now, if it needs to be an iPhone and an actor needs to be operating it, I just shoot it with an iPhone because we're so I think to Ariel's point, we've internalized all of these interfaces and all of the different ways that a phone records an image, the algorithm it's doing to adjust for, you know, focus and skin tones, all that stuff. Right. Um, And and I was totally fooled. I did not realize that I had assumed, frankly, that you were just using laptop lenses and phone lenses and all that stuff. Was there. um, what was the thing do you do you have any insight into why why use a higher end camera again for latitude i imagine just for having that
4: yeah i think so yeah i i know on the first film they used a lot of gopros um and i think there was a choice to not do that on this film um you know we do add a lot of compression but there are also times where there's no compression and at the same time you like, you want it to be real, but you also want to, like, see a pretty movie at the theaters, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel okay. like it, it was kind of that, finding that midpoint.
1: Um, I have another, this is a nerdy, nerdy question. Um, you two are so embroiled in every aspect of what this film looks and feels like. Is it possible, is it feasible to hand that off? for someone else to conform? Or are you seeing it all the way through? Like, were there other... Like, it's so intricate. Like, you can't have support, basically. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. the interesting thing about this, this workflow. Is
1: just, like, salt in the wound. I'm just- <laughs> like, that's exactly how it felt, yeah. You, got, you had a victory lap. You had the movies in theaters. It's a hit. And I'm just going to remind you of how hard it was. <laughs> Thank you.
4: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That is the uh, fun... The side effect of this workflow is that it is basically just us and our team and our directors doing all of it. Like you can't, the way that this is structured, you can't pass it off to anyone to conform. So like when you lock, that's like just (laughs) one milestone, but there's so much still to be done after that.
1: I mean, at least when you're in a movie theater and the, you know, the menus are the right color you you know you know you got it right yeah yeah like imagine if all of a sudden it was like there was a glitch or something yeah it was like a green menu select state you would have just
4: i mean truly it it would (laughs) have it would have taken so much more time for us to try to qc something someone else was doing even just QCing our own work like (laughs) we were still finding things even after the movie was already done uh so yeah i think that is the nice part is like it we maintain control over it but yes it does require them that like some or all of us are still working on it
3: and yeah we were i mean we were supposed to to be like rolling off the movie and then
4: many times many times
3: <laughs> and then they kept finding they're like we need you you're the only one to know no so one else we, knows them. we kept coming back and trading off so we one of us we were both there through both most of the finishing but then towards the end one of us was always on uh, in the yeah. final weeks leading up to-
4: and and to nick and will our directors credits like they were working through to the bitter end like right alongside like in fact like leading a lot of that stuff towards the end yeah. um a lot of um- a lot of no sleep nights <laughs> yeah. it's
2: called job yeah. security when your projects are so disorganized <laughs> yes. no one can figure <laughs> them out you?
1: Yeah. yeah yeah uh guys are we supposed to use final 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 two or final, final, <laughs> final five? there's no honestly
4: when yeah. you are exporting like the final dpx frames out of the computer and it's three in the morning like it does become that it's like wait like okay i'm the, and the computers are all our server was running out of space it was like Everything that could like be insane and go crazy at the very end was happening. It was like space was running out, like this and that. We were like remoting in. It's two in the morning, like crazy stuff. So it basically I, did turn into that.
1: Yikes! I, I'm curious, uh, Austin. You were in both films, right? Yeah. The first one was a true indie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the second one, it was a studio film, right? It is. Yeah. Um. And so, were there differences in terms of like you know uh in terms of specifically the way that you're delivering all that workflow you know expectations right like because it's a different beast now right like is sony like okay well all right final 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 six real that's our file you know <laughs> like,
3: yeah, yeah uh you know it's 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 interesting because i i came onto to the first one after it was already locked so i didn't uh-huh. i didn't get to really see much of how the actual editing process worked but just knowing where they were working uh and then where we were working like we we each had like we had this whole corner of an office building in hollywood where like she had this huge suite you know like with the Beautiful views, mm-hmm. and like I had my own room, and we had three you mean rooms.
1: Not your bedrooms, yes, what you mean? yeah. And like yeah. they
3: were working in a closet for the first movie, you know, like it. Uh, mm-hmm. So like even just things like that were a big change. And I think we also had a little bit more time to to
4: mm-hmm. actually
3: yeah. like dig in and do stuff. Where, but,
4: but I feel like also this like the spirit of the way that this team in particular, and by that team I mean like Nick and Will along with the three producers, Natalie, Sev and Anish, the way that they work. I feel like was very similar on this one to the previous one. Like they are so involved. They're so creatively engaged with everything. They were like there with us in that it for so much of it. Um, So I feel like that felt still kind of like, like a lot, we were constantly being like, this feels like we're in film school. Like it feels like Mm -hmm. a bunch of friends in a room trying to make a movie, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And so. That's kind of the only way to make
1: a film like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, I would
3: say, too, yeah. like I think sony i mean i wasn't we we weren't you know privy to their conversations with Sony all the time, but Sony knew that this team knew how to make this type of movie, so it did feel sure. like Sony wasn't hovering over us all the time, you know, like I think mm-hmm. they they trusted right. us and this group of people to to get get it
2: done was timor what's his name connected to this somehow y-
3: yes, uh he was one of the co producers.
4: Yeah. An an, he's a producer, an executive producer, or producer.
2: Because he was kind of, wasn't it? His company that made the first one. Yes, Baslev's,
1: Yeah. yes Yeah. So what's like, his last name? or something. On, I yeah. need to I just think it. I just call I him Timor director timor, of Wanted. I think of timor Timur Bazlov's.
4: Bazlov's the company. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah
2: yeah.
4: Yeah. Bazlevs, yeah, yeah. So he's the head of that, and Baslev's yeah. was is one of the producers.
2: Just from to continue on the business talk of it, was this film union?
3: It was, yeah. And so both of us joined the union uh, for this movie, which was crazy. Uh, cool.
2: So when you're on a union film, are you, and they say, hey, we need you for another two weeks. Hey, we need you for another three weeks. Hey, we need you for another four weeks. Is that they have to, it's not like an indie film where you're just like hooking them up, right? Like you get paid every, yeah. every time they yeah. talk to you. <laughs> yeah.
3: Which is very nice. it was it was good to keep getting paid that's the whole time,
2: yeah, because I mean, have you ever met a happy editor from an indie film? Like they don't exist <laughs> yeah, they don't. It's because they're like we need you for two weeks for t- i mean I mean one month, I mean three months,
1: I mean I mean two years yeah, I mean two years yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
2: yeah, and the budget never changes on those things, yeah right
1: <laughs> yeah. can we go back a little bit to the uh the rough draft that we were all you were referencing? because i i'm very curious about that i think i understand from a workflow perspective you're building things out you built it in premiere is, how many layers tall is your is your project file is it like oh you've got your your backdrop your desktop yep. background and then you've got you know lit like every window is a different layer basically yes. is that right
3: yeah every every single thing on the screen was its own layer so desktop background and then top bar was a separate mm-hmm. one dock was a separate one the cluttered icons mm-hmm. a separate one and then chrome windows were made up of the window itself like the shape of the window and the chrome top and then mm-hmm. the content of the page so we really broke it down so that we would be able to change it all change as much as we needed to. Right. But then that means that we have some, some sequences that were like 40 plus layers in premiere, yeah. Uh, yeah. which became a total nightmare when you were, I mean, to make practically yeah. you
1: are practically just in after effects the whole time, right? Like you're really living in the, the space in between where premiere and after effects yeah. Yeah. merge basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious about the the way that you iterate once you're into performance, right? So you're you'd mentioned before you're doing voiceover, you're shooting things. Talk to us a little bit more about that because that I think is really fascinating.
4: Yeah, well, in that in that kind of previs phase, like everything was just very much generated from our team, mm-hmm. um, and we got like you can watch <laughs> like. It's a watchable version of the film, but it's like starring <laughs> photos of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's not very good. Um and looking back on it now, it feels very slow, very like certain certain parts feel very, very similar to how they ended up, and certain ones are like night and day different. Um, but it was really, really helpful not just for the not just to start working on it and for the directors to have a point of reference. But for us, when we when the shoot was happening, we could just then focus on the performance like very much in a traditional like we're watching all the dailies kind of way. Mm-hmm. And we could sort of just like one by one swap out our, you know, team's photos and reads with that of great actors. Um, and so that was nice because I it allowed us to just focus on performance during that time, get rid of everything that we had mm-hmm. tempted there. And then from there, it then continued kind of like more of a traditional edit where like, okay, we're working on performance, but also we're changing timing of graphics and changing like what she's searching and Mm -hmm. like kind of infinite, infinite things because you're not glued to just showing the actor saying the lines. You can show anything.
3: And yeah, Um, and specifically to that, they knew they were going to have an ADR session with all of these actors later on. So even after they had shot, we were still. You're able to cut away from the footage at any point, so you can switch lines and write new lines. lines. So during the edit, they were continuing <laughs> to crazy. rewrite things, uh, and then they would get those with the actual actors later on. Um,
1: are you how how regularly are you test screening this? You you two mentioned that you had, for the previous film had test screened a lot, because I can imagine a world where you know, to Ariel, your point of like, oh, this part's a little slow or whatever, but you two have been staring at the yeah. this movie, you know, for a long, long while, months and months and months, maybe even years. And so I, I could imagine getting a little desensitized to the, to the pacing of it and like needing fresh eyes pretty regularly to know that this makes sense, that this isn't overly stimulating. You know, you don't want people to walk away from your movie totally shell-shocked. How, how were there checks and balances for that?
3: Yeah, this team is very, very big on doing a lot of test screenings uh, all along the way. So we were, we did test screenings. It was all over Zoom links uh, for the previs. Like people saw that version that was just us and were giving us notes on it. Um, but then once we got it, where we had all of the actual performances in and some of the graphics were being up we we did a number of like seven or eight, it feels like. Uh, big test screenings where we Mm -hmm. in the theater um, and those were just always incredibly uh, eye-opening because like you said like we were so in it and the directors too, the producers we thought we would have these certain problems and then it was always something else that the audience was picking up on or having trouble with and then we'd have to go in and you know try to try new things Um, but yeah we did a lot
4: Yeah, and this this genre of film too, I think like needs that because it's not like a like super artsy A twenty four movie where they're like I don't actually care what people think like I'm gonna do whatever or like whatever. It's a thriller, Uh, yeah. It's a thriller, yeah. yeah. And so like the audience needs to be right there with the movie and with the characters through the twists and the turns and the reveals and like there were certain things that we tested that were too obvious that, you know, like things like I was saying before, you know, ways that we sort of clued people to the end, things that are too obvious and, and then things that were like totally out of nowhere. And it was because of those screenings and just constantly hearing what people thought that we were able to like find what we think is kind of the right balance of it all.
1: When you were in the traditional test screenings, when it wasn't a zoom link, Um, and you're seeing the film on the big screen. I imagine that's for the first time. Um, what, the scale of it has to be, I mean, it's always a little weird when you see your films on the big screen, but it's, I think it's probably quite different when it's not faces, but text. And, you know, like you, again, you have infinite resolution Were there things where you were reframing or like adjusting the visuals for the big screen
4: um well when we were screening actually no (laughs) when i will so when we did these test screenings we were still using mostly not high res stuff so Uh it was actually like once we saw the fin like once we finished the movie and had all those graphics and we were like i can't believe we ever even showed it not this way because we were so used to looking at it like low res pixelated and that's what we screened because we were still working very much in the offline editing phase. Um, and so there, there were certain things when we knew we were having a screening, we actually like temporarily up-res just because we knew it was like a super, super close-up that would look like shit if we just mm-hmm. played it. Um, but yeah, I mean, every, as far as like what we changed in response to watching it and having those screenings, everything, like it, framing, timing, like plot, story, you know, like all across the board.
1: This is a crazy question. But thinking about it the opposite way of like, oh, there, there's a reality where like there are going to be people who watch this on their phones, right? Did you ever think about like, I assume it's a one size fits all movie, but like the, you know, the crazy part of me is like, oh, you well, you could make a phone version. You could make the iTunes version that's maybe scaled up a little bit more. You could, you could read the text a little, like, you know, like. And did that ever occur to you were those conversations or is that just crazy making? Oh,
4: <laughs> are you volunteering yourself yeah, you to do, it? Yeah, yeah. do that? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I'll join the union. Let's do it.
4: <laughs> um, we never, w- there were certain instances when we did have discussions about like, is this text big enough to re- like, there was a certain shot like a
1: legibility. Thing.
4: Yeah. Like making yeah. sure people can read it. We never want people to feel like they're struggling to read the important information. um, we did get people, some people saying in feedback screenings, like, it, it's like, would you go to a movie theater to see it? And some people were like, no, I should watch it on my computer because it takes place on the computer. And we were like, oh, that's actually interesting. Like, it would right. be another, another like, level you guys of made watching. it on the
2: computer.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, having seen it in the theater with a bunch of teenagers yes. who yeah. loved it. it.
3: Yeah. Yes.
1: Um. And they pulled their phones out immediately as soon as it was done. I was like, "I'm watching the credits, please."
4: Better <laughs> they at least they waited till the they credits. Did wait.
1: Yeah, they did. Yeah. Wait. yeah,
4: nothing worse.
3: And That's I mean that's the thing. Like I do think this movie would be fun to watch alone on your screen where you can pause it and really dig in. But this is at the end of the day like a a thriller that's meant to be seen with a crowd. And it was so gratifying to actually like see it in a movie theater with people. Um, and we, and we saw it a lot with, like, friends and family for those test screenings, but going to just random theaters, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just, like... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ariel always said it makes her feel powerful when they're, when they're, like, reacting to something we did, you know?
1: Sure.
4: <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. We made you play yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You didn't
1: want to, but we
2: tricked you. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. Gotcha.
2: I'm curious what your editing backgrounds are before... I, obviously, this movie is so unique, but do you come from a more traditional narrative editing background, directing, writing how like can you tell us a little bit about how you got to this and how that added up to telling this the studio like the story of the studio film?
3: I definitely come from more like I, I do a lot of freelance editing um, but I also write and direct, and so I right out after college i did an, I wrote and directed an indie horror movie, um, which I also edited, and then I also direct. Theater, uh, immersive theater, um, which is fun because it gives you a chance to make like a lot of projects really fast as opposed to. For,
1: for the uninitiated, explain what immersive theater immersive is. Immersive
3: theater is like a theater that happens in an um, unexpected location, so not a proscenium stage. So it's like you walk into a living room and there's a play happening where you sit with the actors and they interact with you. But yeah, so I've done a lot of that, and then just a lot of uh, freelance editing.
1: You did the Overlook's big interactive game. Yeah, yeah, right?
3: yeah. So I, I the Overlook Film Festival. We're actually going there in two weeks to do an immersive scene uh, again, which is cool. Yeah, we did it. Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I'm always humble. We did do a an, an ARG, an online Instagram ARG during like the the heart of the pandemic. Uh, that the LA Times called, like, the number four game of the year after, like, hmm. Mario Kart. <laughs> so, like, that was cool,
1: you know? Um, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, it's a scene, it's a thing, you know? It's
4: kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal, yeah. Guys.
1: Uh, and, and interestingly, I mean, I think it kind of perhaps informs this, this style of editing, right? Like, like the difference between an ARG, right, an alternate reality game, and a screen film you know there's certainly a lot of shared dna right yeah for was sure that, was that just coincidental or or like uh you know i did did the producers know that that was part of your gig like part of your
3: i think it was mostly coincidental i mean nick yeah. uh who was one of the ed- uh the directors he comes to all my shows he knows my work outside of editing so i think he when they were putting together the team, they were looking for people who were not just necessarily editors, but like storytellers and creatives. And I think that's how they came to us. That being said, uh, when they tried to hire me, Sony obviously was like, uh, who is this guy? He has no uh, credits. <laughs> so I actually had like a week.
1: You pulled out the LA Times. Yeah. I
3: was like, here, look at this, please. <laughs> no, but I, I did a test scene. Like they gave me uh, like 10 pages of the script and they're like, just make uh, this scene. And, and so I, I had a week with on my no own footage. And, yeah. With no footage, just alone doing basically what we did in the previs. Uh, C-
1: can I say you don't have to respond in any way, Austin. It's a good test in that, you know, you need to prove yourself and prove that you can do this unique thing. But, like, people don't understand how much work that is, how unfair that is. Like, no one would ever be like, hey, we're going to, yeah, it's a job interview. For Um, Subway, make 10,000 sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You make 10,000 sandwiches just so you're certain that you know how to make a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the number of hours, frankly, it's pretty comparable. You could probably make 10,000 sandwiches in the amount of time it took you to cut that 10-page scene. I, 10 pages is a lot. It
3: was. I was very surprised because when when they suggested that, I was like, oh, yeah, sure. That won't take that long. And oh, and boy. You're like,
1: oh, wait. <laughs> it was a stressful week. 10, 10 pages. How many pages is the script? 100? So a tenth of the movie? <laughs> Yeah, it was wild. in a week. You think it takes ten yeah. weeks to like, make? Interesting. A movie guys? They they interviewed ten
2: editors and nobody got the job. Yeah, yeah the yeah, movie yeah, still yeah. came out.
1: Yeah, the yeah. movie still came out. Slightly different <laughs> take every, yeah. every, day yeah. every yeah. Show. well, actually, we did. We took what
3: I did and slotted that into the previous. <laughs> yeah. Like, are we, you serious? We had a scene done. Yeah, you know.
1: Well, that's good. So that's great.
3: No, but it was. I mean, I, I, you know, it was a lot of work. But I was just amazed that they were even thinking of me. I was like, I. I want this,
1: you know, so. Somebody who doesn't know how much work that is yeah, yeah. was just like, oh yeah, 10 pages, that sounds right. And like, doesn't have, it wasn't even malicious. It was just ignorant is my <laughs> hunch, is what I'm saying. You don't have to say yeah, anything, yeah. Austin.
2: <laughs> but it all worked out, so yes, feeling good. good. And so yeah, Arielle, what's your story? Oh story? yes,
4: um, basically the same thing. No, i it's, yes. it's really different, actually. <laughs> I basically was like, I'm full on... Editing from the beginning. So, um, from college, I started as an intern at a commercial uh, post house. And uh, which one? Um, it's called Rock, Paper, Scissors. So, I started there. I became an assistant editor there. It was all commercial. So, like, whatever, ad agencies, short like form mega stuff. spots.
1: Like, big, big spots.
4: Big yeah. spots. Yeah. Top big directors, big agencies, all that. Um, everything was like super fast moving, basically, like, learned everything I know about editing and the technical stuff being there was taught like you have to move as quickly as possible and make no mistakes. <laughs> and so that's like what I was brought up in. And then ended up going to another commercial place um where they made me an editor. And then basically ended up spending like almost a decade on and off in the commercial editing world. Um, but sort of towards the second half of that I started editing documentaries. Mm-hmm. So I cut a couple episodes of um chef's table making a murder, trial by media and then mm. two feature docs um called accepted and Wolfgang. and mm-hmm. then cut those docs and then um then this then missing came up and that was all all along i was like always te- you know employed on a roster at a commercial editing place and so missing was the first time that i fully left that world to mm. Finally, you know, wait, so even when you had, cut
2: like making a murder that was at a commercial house,
4: I would basically like leave for a couple months, do it, and then come back. um But the mo- more and more I was just gone a lot, and they were like, "Do you want to be here?" And I was like, "Well, I want to edit movies." So,
2: wait, do you think he murdered her?
4: <laughs> I feel like that should be a separate podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> um, but the short answer is. No, I don't. Oh, wow. Whatever. We'll get into this other time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, ended up being offered Missing and was super stoked. And was like, all right, let's dive in. And
2: But so was that your first feature?
4: First big feature, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Did you feel like the short form stuff was, I mean, obviously you learned kind of, you're honing your skills this entire time. Yeah. Like what makes a good cut, you know, a funny cut, a surprising cut, but like... Yeah. Telling a two-hour story is, like, a, just a totally different piece.
4: Yeah. Uh, honestly, I it's easier now looking back on it all to be like, oh, of course, everything led to everything else. But it did, like, each phase kind of, I did think, teach essential skills. Like, in some ways, like, there are segments and montages in this movie that feel like commercials and, and have the pacing and the kind of energy of, of like, an Apple ad, you know? The, um, the
1: The party montage actually
4: yeah things like that Maybe and that, yeah. and just like the i think commercials really taught me how to like sit in a room with a, 10 people behind you all shouting out opinions and like process that and turn it into something um and then documentaries was like a lesson in writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and i feel like we on this project in particular like really got to do some of that which was hard and fun and came from that I think a little
1: you two hadn't worked together prior to this
4: right so you would think being from such like different backgrounds we would we would not perhaps get along mm-hmm. but you're, yet you're <laughs> we were basically in love from day one
3: <laughs> yeah we, we were uh, at our houses for the first six months and we we kept each other on Zoom, like up on mute on Zoom all day for like twelve hours a day for six like months. Like the movie. Yeah. It's,
1: it was, it's like method. It was really it's Oh like my god, yeah.
4: <laughs> we were in the computer. We were in
1: it.
4: <laughs> and and we were super lucky and got along super well and worked great together. And and like
3: relied on each other. It was you know, it was a hard it was a hard couple of years. Yeah. So it was it was good to have each other. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Time frame wise, when did you start working on the film and when When did you wrap officially? We
3: we started at the end of September 2020 was when we started. And then they, they shot...
1: September 2020. Yeah.
3: And then they shot in April of 2021. And right after they shot, we moved into an office. And then we were there through essentially December of 2022.
2: And so do I detect from your previous answer that you might work together again? Or...
3: I mean, I'd love to.
0: That- hey, hit great, us up, yeah. you know?
3: <laughs> like, let us know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Would you do <laughs> another screen movie?
3: You know what? It feels like we have such a, a bounty of knowledge about this very specific theme- thing. It would kind of be a shame to not use it again. But <laughs> it's also been really nice to take
1: a break from it for a while.
2: Just look at faces
1: only. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But it kind of seems like the pathway is you edit one of these movies and then you direct the next one because you enjoy using the tools and the storytelling but not clicking setting drawing 800 different photoshop yeah. files for all the hover states
4: perhaps time will tell
3: time will tell <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean it did i mean like i was re- so ready to be like i'll never look at a screen movie again and then the moment we were done i came up with like three screen movie ideas and i was like why can i stop thinking in this <laughs> Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah
1: like, yeah. It, you know, you think of like uh, all those people who like um, plan their weddings so thoroughly that they end up going into events. Right. It's a similar sort of thing that. where it's like you just spent years learning how to make a specific and frankly, pretty profitable, profitable type of movie. You know, if there's a way you maybe don't have to yeah, click yeah. as many mouses yeah. or Do have, have some it. coverage, basically, yeah. that would be wonderful. <laughs> well,
4: just to, that just reminded me. Just for as as an example of how long this journey was, I was not engaged when I started this film, and by the time we were done, I you're was married. You're
3: an, ev- you're an event planner. <laughs> you're a married event planner. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
4: married and leaving editing for <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> party planning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was quite a journey.
1: Yeah, September 2020 is like a very. Specific time in our shared histories, right? You said you're working from home on Zoom, on a thriller, on a screen movie. What did that do to you? Do you know what I mean? How like your emotional state, your mental health? Like it's great to have a job, right? Like it, meanwhile, the rest of the industry is kind of like pretty freaked out. Like what? Where were you two? In all of that,
4: I mean, I'll I'll just speak for myself. Like it was overall like positive, honestly. Yeah. Like it was yeah. really nice to be working on something creative with people that mm-hmm. you like and respect. Um, and it felt nice to have a, a purpose, I guess, during mm-hmm. that time. I think okay. prior to starting, like the start date kept getting pushed, and there was it was like-
1: rough only having a podcast. I'll tell you what, <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. There were a couple months for me where like I was waiting for this movie to start. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my God, like what is, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. it was a hard time to not have something to like Mm -hmm. dive into and distract yourself with.
1: And what what a perfect thing to start working on from home. Right.
4: Yeah. The timing worked out really well where like this previous phase just happened from home. And then like we basically like vaccines started happening right as we were sort of ready to move into it. A space and work together and i i can't imagine us trying to edit post the shoot from home separately like that would have just been kind of impossible i think we all saw each other much much more than we saw anyone else in our lives yeah, sure. so it was that kind of you know it was like a lot of long days long nights you were
1: in each other's bubble yeah yes. right. yeah right yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah yeah um but it was you know if you like fully lean to that and embrace it and and don't try to fight it <laughs> It's great, yeah. I guess. Yeah,
3: it was really, really fun to, to like six months after starting working together to meet each other in person, really for the first time. You know, like mm-hmm. like going to the office that first day. I'm I'm significantly taller than Ariel, and like on Zoom, you know, we we're all just kind of looking The same height. so I
4: was was like, "Whoa!" Like a full foot taller. Like, like, who are you? (laughs) And so it was very like upsetting at first. It was like felt like you were meeting a stranger that you you know very well.
1: Mental image of a person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But
4: we we made it through. We pushed forward. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So what's what's next for you? Are you cutting anything else?
4: Honestly, I don't know. Like, I've just been kind of since we only sort of just recovered from. We're doing like a bunch of press and stuff for the movie, which was super super fun to get to talk to talk about it normally as others no one would care what we have to say um so we're grateful for people like you that want to ask this question so yeah we just sort of I think recovered from that only like a month ago so now I personally I'm sort of waiting for like the next film that comes up and in the meantime just staying busy and trying to work on some like smaller commercial shorter type things I'm really trying to like angle into scripted and away from dogs
1: uh, Austin, what about you? Yeah,
3: it's basically the same. Just kind of taking this time to appreciate uh, this whole process and and really like live in it for a moment. But yeah, just waiting for the next movie or editing project. But I'm working on a bunch of immersive stuff uh, for the rest of the year. So
1: you're immersed. in I'm immersive. immersed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Missing yeah. is so great. Before Congrats. we hop into unpaid endorsements. Where can people keep track of all of your fun projects? Where, where can they, like, uh, do you tweet, do you Instagram? Just go to my IMDB, set a Google alert for my name. What, what's the way to, for, uh, for people to keep track of what's going on?
3: Uh, yeah, for me, I mean, I don't do anything. I don't do tweet. I don't do Instagram. But for my immersive stuff I have, uh, you could go to www.e3wproductions.com.
2: There you go. E3, the number three W. E
3: The number three W.
2: Yeah, e, production wow you have a three letter domain
4: and for me um Instagram question mark but I don't not currently public so you can try to add me and see if <laughs> sure. I accept you sure. <laughs> You know, um, why don't
1: you hear how about this? Next time you guys have a project, you just let us know. Yeah. We'll have you yeah. back on the show. Can you be our, so our yeah? You just go to <laughs> subscribe to our podcast yes. and re- listen regularly. Yeah, there we go. <laughs>
4: yeah, cool. yeah. But you know, yeah, IMDB <laughs> Googling us, whatever. We'll we'll see. We'll
1: see what awesome. happens. Awesome. Well, well, do you have a few more minutes to hang out and endorse with us?
4: Please. Unpaid endorsements.
1: So we were joking off Mike, but this is real. Um I have been enjoying the Spotify playlist for the soundtrack of the film Cold War, which is the black and white film about the Polish film about the Cold War. Uh, and really two lovers who can't decide if they're good for each other or not with the backdrop of the Cold War. It's, it's mostly Polish folk songs um, and a little Nina Simone. And it's weird. It's, it's, it's like beautiful. It's atmospheric my baby loves it if you recall the film which i love and recommend you revisiting um it's really a masterpiece it's like one of my favorite films the last 10 years it's it's about these people recording folk songs that it at least starts with like people recording folk songs in an anthropological mission before they kind of get erased and one of the singers is the love interest etc cetera, etc cetera. but so my wife and i would always like jokingly sing the the chorus back to each other back and forth uh just as like a bit you know like a like a little couple inside joke you know about a art film from years ago but so that's why i decided to open it back up and listen to it again and uh i hope that someday my daughter is like why do i know this weird polish song (laughs) from the 30s i don't know (laughs) uh so that's maybe indoctrinating your children with strange deep cuts is maybe my other endorsement as well Ariel, what you got?
4: I endorse getting a dog. I got a dog yesterday. What? Whoa! Congrats. congrats. I know. I was like, I got to tell Austin. I was like, I'll tell him at the podcast. What kind of
3: dog? Show me. Well,
4: we adopted a rescue dog. She is a husky mix and she's super fluffy and pretty. And it's great, but we're totally like, like in surreal mode, but also like trying to figure out how to be parents mm-hmm. to this dog that we're like, can't like, what are you thinking? What do you want?
2: How old is she? Uh,
4: they think she's about four.
3: What's her name?
4: We, we spent all day okay. yesterday trying to figure out names. Currently we've, we've settled on Yuna.
1: I lo- Huskies like to sing. Right. I love this Husky right? is yeah. silent.
4: She oh, has interesting. not said a peep since she arrived. She's very mellow. So that's endorsement one, but obviously not everyone likes dogs, not everyone wants a dog, et cetera. So endorsement number two, very different. Sometimes I have the appetite of like a five-year-old child. And one of the things I've learned or I've sort of gotten in the habit of doing, especially if you like want to feel like you're camping, but you're not, you're inside is to <laughs> eat as a dessert. To heat, Take a mug and to put some mini marshmallows in it and some chocolate chips and just... Mm-hmm. Microwave it mm. <laughs> and eat it with a spoon. <laughs> Possibly disgusting, but it's I'm addicted. But anyway, I like got in a weird, you know, like during the pandemic, I feel like we all just started sure. doing kind of weird things. And I weird. Think that was one of my weird things, and I sort of can't stop. So, if you do it for only like 15 seconds, they're yes. ready. They're ready to go. If you do it too much, the thing, the mug will like overflow, and then you have mm-hmm. a messy situation.
1: But is it goopy or is it just like a little like?
4: It gets pretty, because I use the mini guys, uh-huh. so it gets it gets pretty, pretty goopy, pretty fast.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds good. <laughs> yeah, Austin, what you got, buddy?
3: Uh, I'll do two quick ones as well. I'm a little late on this one, but I finally uh, watched all of Twin Peaks over the past like month and a half which was like a lot mm. of episodes. It was all season one, two, the movie, and then the new season. So
1: that, that's how you recuperate from yeah. Um, yeah. a movie. Yeah.
3: just <laughs> <laughs> uh, So that's been uh, my world for the past couple of weeks and uh, I finally finished it and I'm just vibing on it real hard. So I, I love that.
1: Have you, do you, are you dovetailing into other David Lynch? Well, I'm now, or is it just huge
3: David? I love David Lynch, but I just never watched all of Twin Peaks because it's, it's a slog, you know, like it's really, mm-hmm. it's really tough to get through. But, uh, it's just something where I was so surprised that a show that I kind of like hated watching on a moment to moment basis so much of the time, uh, mm-hmm. cumulatively became such a big thing for something me, you know? You. Yeah.
1: Uh, I'll be honest, you know, I haven't, <laughs> I, I, people, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. People care about this show deeply, deeply, deeply. And it tonally is so specific that like every time I've been like, all right, let's do this. We're going to jump in. I haven't been able to sink my teeth in. And I feel it's embarrassing saying that, but like no, I haven't.
3: No, I mean, that's why it, I didn't ever, because I, I couldn't either. But I just committed this time somehow. and yeah. uh, I'm glad I, Way to go. Yeah, thank you. And my other thing is puzzles. I've been doing a lot of jigsaw puzzles. Oh,
4: I I second that yeah. endorsement. Puzzles All
2: right. You guys were busy during COVID working on this movie. Yeah, yeah. So you only <laughs> discovered puzzles. So now. nice. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. it.
4: Can I recommend breaking, baking bread? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> we're just so I know. <laughs> I've got my own
1: starter in the back. Um as a fellow um puzzle fan what's your what's your jam what what makes a good puzzle uh, for, for me you?
3: it's all about color blocks i don't like something mm. where it's like one big color all the way across i'd like to be able to break it up into small pieces so i feel a real sense of you know accomplishment mm-hmm. and satisfaction
4: how many pieces uh
3: 750 is my sweet spot right now I'm, tr- I'm not trying to spend multiple you know days on it i'm trying to sit down mm. and do it oh uh,
4: oh wow uh, you sit down and do it
3: well i have a couple times in that's, the past couple of weeks that's amazing
1: yeah. captain what do you got buddy
2: so i i'm in the Again, we've, we've been endorsing a lot. So we're down to the, the fumes of our endorsements. So I'm endorsing something everyone everywhere has already. All heard. at once. Yeah. Yeah. So the annual Kwan speech, I actually didn't see when they won Best Directors on the Oscars. I was putting my kid to sleep. So I didn't hear his speech. So I, I just heard it today. And he said this one thing that I've been telling everyone um, all the time. He must have stolen it from me. <laughs> Uh, no, he didn't. But I've always had this pet peeve in my life about people that say, like, oh, I'm not a math person. Or I'm not, like, really an arts person. Or I'm not, like, really a music person because I kind of feel like everyone is everything, you know? And it's just a, a lot of times, like, my daughter has this friend that is, like, very funny and interesting and artistic, but his parents are, like, super, like, STEM, science, math, you know, engineering-type folks, and I feel like they're pushing him away from arts, like, he doesn't like arts. He's more into programming robots. I'm like, but I see him. He's just like a total goofball and like loves to run around and do silly things. Um, and so when Daniel Kwan said this thing in his speech where he says, everyone has genius in them. They just need to find the right people to unlock it. It like really resonated with me because mm-hmm. I think as filmmakers, we've, we've all kind of made something that we, we know it's not like genius, right? We know it's like works and it's good, but it's not like, amazing but like I I just kind of like that that philosophy of like like it's inside of us you know we we haven't quite found the exact right recipe to unlock it but but everyone can make something great I don't know I just I I got excited about saying that because I feel like it was a a 10 times better way of saying what I've been complaining about (laughs) okay anyway thank you so much for coming to our podcast yeah thanks for having us
4: thank you for having us
2: congrats again on the film and all the other things if you want to find out more about our show or anything you can go to our website just you can uh, find us across all social media we're at just shoot it pod uh you can email us just at gmail.com and you can find me i'm on instagram at
1: ocaplin and i'm at mr matt Ello
2: across all
1: social media i've got a couple more letterbox followers and i think it's thanks to these plugs i see you i appreciate it everyone Uh, This episode was edited by Noah Bayshore. Thanks, Noah. And you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist, Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.